Our author guest, Amy Nordhues, she's the author of Prayed Upon, Breaking Free from Therapist Abuse. She has quite a story to tell about surviving abuse, coming through it with a great story in and of her own right, and she has something to teach to you, our good listeners, through her book, Prayed Upon. Amy, welcome to Beyond Adversity. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor to have you with us. You do have quite a story to tell, and you come from a faith-based background, as I do. But one of the things I've learned in my faith-based life is things are not always just kind of peachy and keen, as some people may think they were, they would would be. So tell us a little bit about your story, what led you to write your, your book, Prayed Upon, and kind of the foundation of a, the adverse situation you found yourself in. Sure. In 2013, I sought out a counselor. It was really kind of brought to me. A friend had an appointment that she didn't need and offered it to me. And I was dealing with issues surrounding parenting and my marriage was disconnected and I wanted to work on that and issues surrounding depression that just kind of seemed to follow me my whole life stemming from past sexual abuse. And so when she offered me her appointment, I thought, you know, sure, why not? You know, and And I thought it might be a God thing that she's even offering because I had become, I say, a new believer in around 2012, just meaning that my faith really had come alive for me at that point. So knowing that this therapist was highly recommended and he was an elder at my church, I felt like this is a God thing and we're going to work on this depression and this is going to be it. I'm going to find the healing that I've always longed for. So I start to see him in therapy weekly. and. You know, he was kind of a father figure, grandfatherly type person in my life and just really seemed to be rooting for me and wanting to know me and help me and support me. And so it it was really helpful in the beginning, just having kind of somebody there, you know, that I could talk to and, and that built me up. And it wasn't until I'd been seeing him maybe six or seven months and I had grown quite attached to him by then that he kind of made what I say is, you know, his first major move or first red flag. And that was that he offered to rub my feet or my shoulders for a Christmas present. And it was very startling and alarming. And I mean, I, I, I froze as I have done in my lifetime when I've been in other abuse situations. And, you know, in my panic, I just felt like pick one or the other, Amy, just, this is awkward. This is uncomfortable. And, you know, childhood abuse kind of takes away our no and takes away our right to use it. And I felt like I couldn't say no to this, you know, person in authority and this person that I thought cared about me. I thought, you know, he wouldn't be offering if it wasn't for my benefit. So I I picked shoulders and then I quickly changed it to feet and I and I was able to just kind of get through that. Eventually, I decided that it was just a kind gesture And I kind of minimized it, rationalized it, you know, blew it off. And it became just kind of a no big deal thing. And that is how grooming works. You know, there's then a period of kind of normalcy where they're letting you adjust to this, you know, advancement that they have made. And then when they feel that you, you know, are able, they will up the ante a little more and a little more. And eventually he found a way to sit 
closer to me on my side of the room. And then eventually he sat next to me. And, you know, as scary as each red flag was, it made me feel incredibly special. And it made me feel good that I was more like a daughter and less of a client. And, you know, the sessions were all about Jesus. And we opened up the sessions in prayer. And the Holy Spirit, he said, was his boss. And so, I felt like all of this was a good thing and that God was blessing me through it and that it was helping me and that, you know, as silly as it may sound that, you know, God was kind of loving on me in this way, like letting me know you are special, you are deserving, you know, you're not just. So he he was couching his grooming in, in faith lingo, God language, if you will. And he was coming across in a kind of a paternal way and things like that, comforting. So you're kind of classic signs of someone who's trying to groom you really in lots of ways. Yeah. But, you know, sadly, having just kind of become this new believer, I was very naive. I didn't know a lot about the spiritual world. And and I really did think that God was blessing me in in big ways and and trying to make me feel loved. And and that, that was probably true. That's not, he was not doing it through this man, but this man made me feel as if he was. So at the same time, I'm this is happening. I'm like thanking God for this experience and for giving me this safe paternal figure, you know, and so it was very confusing. And after about a year, I realized that I I thought he was luring me into an emotional affair, which I wanted no part of. I had no idea the track that I was on. I had no idea that he was grooming me for sexual abuse. And, you know, by the time I knew I was in deep trouble, I was also extremely attached and he had made himself, he'd played on my empathy and my guilt and I felt sorry for him and I felt he was this fragile creature and needed me as much as I needed him and that it would, you know, he told me it would kill him if I ever left. So I felt, I felt like damned if I do, damned if I don't. I felt like I can't stay and I can't leave. And it was just very confusing to be an intelligent adult and be in this situation. Sure, you're familiar with the term codependent. It sounds like a you know code. He was developing a codependent type relationship here. Yes, by telling me about his childhood and his marriage and things like that, which a therapist that is ethical would never do. Right. But you know, predators prey on people that are very that have very high levels of empathy hmm. because they can get they know that. They can get a lot out of that. Wow. So, and it sounds like you were meeting with him on a, on a pretty regular basis, once a week or so, or whatever it was. It was a regular thing, right? It was once a week for an, an hour once a week for, I don't know, five, six months at least. And then he, all of a sudden, I showed up for an appointment and the appointment was two hours. Okay. And I was very thrown by that. And he said, oh, I was able to get us an extra hour. But again, I after I got over the initial panic, I thought, oh, well, cool. You know, I probably need two hours. And then it was two hours once a week. At the very end, it became three. Okay. And then this process, you must have been also getting something out of it. What I mean by that, the, there were flags going up, but there was also attachments happening and you were getting some benefit from it. You were feeling, or you wouldn't have kept coming back. You know, you weren't just having the, the, re, the, the repelling type of thing. You were having the attractive type of thing. So the, the process here kept you going. Is that, is that fair to term it in that, in that way? Yeah. I mean, 
I, I would say I was extremely attached to feeling special. I was extremely attached to having a father figure. I was extremely attached to having somebody that I thought was kind of in my corner. And, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't have many close relationships and I felt like this was, you know, that, that closeness and that bond was something I felt like I desperately needed. And especially considering that I thought it was a God thing at first, at the end, my prayer was, this is how confused I was. I was literally asking God, are you telling me to get away from this situation or is Satan trying to take away something good that you gave me? So it it was just mind boggling. So yes, there's they don't make a move until they know that you are very attached, and they use many methods to gain that attachment. So, and then you also had a bit of a history of some sexual abuse, is my understanding of what you said as well. So this is somewhat of a pattern that's happened in your life. So you had some sensibility about it. Okay. All right, Amy. Let's. This is your situation. You found yourself in. You found yourself in this adverse life event and being involved with a therapist who is using Christianity to lure you and to attack you in his own way and to manipulate you. And that's not a place you've you've had to come to some realization, some aha moment that, okay, this is not right. I got to do something about it. Tell us about that pivotal moment when you said, I got to break out of this. And then what were some of the actions that you took? from that point. Yeah, I I had the realization that what he was doing to me was wrong before I was able to actually leave and the reason is that I thought that his actions were stemming from a loving or a caring place and that he had just taken it too far or you know he had he was attempting to do right by me and make me feel loved in an appropriate way and then got tripped up and so my mind could not grasp this level of evil sitting in front of me. And so I I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I I didn't want to give up on somebody that, you know, just inadvertently began to hurt me, if that makes sense. And so I hung on longer than I should. and, And the aha moments kind of piled up. But what I needed to see was the true evil. And, and there was finally a moment where, and it's it, it's hard for me to say these words out loud, but I literally asked my therapist, could we just leave clothes on and talk? Will you just talk to me? The fact that I even have to ask that is just pitiful to me. But his response was so cold and so callous that I I saw what I needed to see. I needed to see just pure cruelty, pure, you know, no interest for my regard at all. And, and I saw that in that moment. And that is the moment that that switch flipped that I knew 100% this man does not care about you. He never did. So, so if you'll forgive the kind of the framework, and I'll just say, and this is terrible. If I'm out of line, you let me know. But he, in a way, you almost literally had to bear all, you know, in order to have this brought forth to you. You had to see his crude nature in its utmost in order to break free or to have this moment. Is that fair? Yeah, because I couldn't believe it could possibly be true. And I was willing to be patient with somebody that, you know, got tripped up and was hurting me or was when they realized they were hurting me, they would stop. 
and I, and I, you know, I was beginning to wise up to it, but yes, I needed to see it. I feel like it was like almost looking Satan in the eyes. I, I just needed to see it for myself. Okay. So at that yeah. point, and what I love to tell people to process and help our listeners to process, there comes these moments, these aha moments, you know, you're in the middle of, you know, the wilderness experience of, to use a biblical metaphor. And then, but what are you going to do? You're going to stay stuck in the wilderness or are you going to do something about it now? So you kind of realize I'm in trouble. So I'm really an advocate of what are the actions that you took in this particular situation to break free of that? What are some of the actions that you took from that point on? Well, I had already gone to a close friend and mentor. She was the pastor's wife, and she had recommended this doctor to me. And she had chosen to blow me off and not believe me. She didn't want to deal with it. So I went back to her and tried to tell her, and when she wasn't really hearing me or choosing to hear me, I told her husband, the pastor, and I told him everything. And he asked me, you know, what do you need? And I said, I just need you to sit with me during one of these three-hour sessions because I know he'll call me, he'll cry, he'll weasel his way back in and I'll cave and I'll, you know, return. And so I had an appointment the following Monday and I went to their house and sat there and cried for three hours. Um, The doctor called nine times in the first two hours and I could even hearing the sadness in his voice, I could even feel myself caving, but. So let me just be clear. You you went back, but you had yourself and the therapist and your pastor. So there was three of you in the room. Is that right? No, I did not. No, I did not go back. I sat at my pastor's house. Okay. During that three-hour session, I did not call and cancel. I just did not show up. I went to their house, oh, my pastor's okay. house, and and they you, sat with me. You were a no-show. Yeah, show. and in that you, you were a no-show. I was a no-show. Okay, all right. I'm and just, <laughs> being the conscientious person that I am, I thought, well, I need to at least tell the secretary I'm not coming, and they were like, no, you're not calling. So yes, I needed their help. I needed outside help to break me break that help me break that tie initially. Okay, I just want to be clear about this. So, did you? Did you said he called nine times. Did you take the calls? Did you speak to him, or you just hear like voicemails or something like that? Just voicemails. Okay. And towards the end, I even felt like I just at least need to call him. And of course, they said, "No, you're absolutely not." And so the so, yeah. the other two folks, the pastor's wife, heard these voicemails. So you were able to correct validate your situation, and they understood. Then is that the, the, correct? Is that the case? Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think that's important. Super big step that you took to get other people involved. So great. So yes. now you had this happen. So what'd you do then? Or what were some of the actions that you took to really get the healing part going on? That's kind of the yeah. part of where you're kind of analyzing the problem. You're kind of diagnosing the problem and now you got to heal. Right. I had a pre-planned vacation with a friend a week later, which was a blessing. And I spent that week just analyzing the whole situation and and looking at what took place and and realizing you were groomed, you were manipulated from day one and just kind of processing it. And the next action step that I took, you know, when I came back, and I'll tell you, it was terrifying. I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to tell my husband because how is he going to understand when I don't even understand you know, if, if, if the world finds out, I'm going to be judged and mocked and blamed and who's going to believe an adult. But I knew to heal that I needed to 
to speak up. And so when I came back, I shared everything with my husband. And then I made the decision to report this abuser to the medical board in my state. So he was an actual MD. Is that right? I just want to be clear about that. He was a psychiatrist that did therapy. Okay. All right. So I filed that complaint and began that process. And, you know, there was healing just in speaking up for myself for the first time. And there was great healing in being believed and fought for for the first time. I couldn't believe that, you know, these medical board investigators and the medical board doctors, I was a total stranger to them, yet they seemed to really care. And that that gave me a great healing. And then, you know, the next stage, I would say, was just realizing that I wasn't the only one and I wasn't alone. I had to find other adult victims so that, you know, because I thought I was the only one on the planet. And that was hugely helpful. I found an organization that just supports adult victims of therapist and clergy abuse. And from there, I made the decision to file a civil suit, a medical malpractice suit, because only 50% of the states in our country consider therapist abuse a crime, and it is not considered a crime in my state. So I did the next best thing, and that was to file a civil suit. Again, it was hard, but it was healing and rewarding to feel like I have a voice and I'm fighting back to, you know, standing up to a bully. Because I wasn't the only victim. You know, there were many victims. And I felt like I did it for me and I did it for everyone that he'd ever hurt or will hurt. Okay. Just to be clear, you're talking about there were many victims of this particular doctor. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Because there, there's a lot of victims out there all over the place of clergy right. and therapist abuse. Okay. So you begin then to gather other like-minded people and to gain collegiality and commonality and community with others. That's great. And then eventually you started to write a book about it, right? Yeah, I needed to, in order to forgive myself, I needed to understand what happened. I'm very hard on myself and I just couldn't accept that I could be manipulated and I couldn't forgive myself for, you know, staying as long as I did and for falling for it and becoming attached. And so I wrote, I wrote it out originally just so that I could see it for myself and, and begin to be gentler with myself. And it was very helpful to see it kind of unfold on the page. And, you know, it was after I wrote it that I realized I want other adult victims to know that they're not alone because there's not a lot written about adult abuse. There's not a lot written about therapist abuse. And so that is when I decided to share my story. I feel like God wanted me to share it. And I promised him that I wouldn't write a book that didn't glorify him. It wasn't going to be a book about revenge or, you know, mm-hmm. or anything like that. It needed to have value and and glorify him to be worthwhile. And so it took me years of healing to be able to produce a book like that. I had to have the healing under my belt before I could really write the ending to the story. Yeah, it's interesting the way you're, you're terming things here, Amy, that you wanted to make sure your book and your story glorified God and was honoring and not a situation where God was finished. And yet the framework, the circumstances that you found yourself abused were a connected through, a, a you know, your references were through a church and your counselor, your doctor called himself a person of faith. And there was a framework of 
you know, I'm a called by the Holy Spirit or whatever terminology he, he used, that for many folks could be a could be a way that they could be really, really hurt by the whole sensibility about their the church world and people of faith and so on, and that could help them to go away from faith. So I want to talk to you about that for just a, a second here. How did this whole episode impact your faith? Did it get your faith? Did it assault your faith? Did your did you have to make sure you had a different way to connect with a God or a higher power in order to navigate this? Tell us a bit about your faith journey through this whole process of the abuse and then the healing going forward. Yeah, and that's a huge question or huge dilemma for most victims. But I spent the first 40 years of my life um, depressed and angry with God, and I didn't think he could communicate with us. I didn't like his whole, I didn't like this whole idea of being put here on earth without, you know, giving my permission and having to endure whatever we have to endure. I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards him. And so, in 2012, when I, I began attending a Celebrate Recovery at my church, and that's when I had mentioned that my faith really came alive. And I feel like that realization that God is close to me and that I can talk to Him and that He can answer me was such a huge revelation for me that it, it felt life-changing for me that had I not had that experience right before this abuse, I feel like this abuse could have brought me down for good, taken me under for good, but it didn't because I refused to lose what I had just gained. And so I never did like suspect God or turn on God. I, I knew he was trying to reach out to me during this experience. I knew he was calling out to me, trying to help me. And it was me that was saying, well, God, I'll fix it. You know, just give me some more time and I can fix this. So I never felt, you know, abandoned. And then afterwards, when I had that vacation in Canada God showed up for me in the most magnificent ways, and I'll let people read about that in the book, but he just lavished his love on me because he knew the journey that I had ahead of me. I did not want the journey. I did not think I could survive the journey, and by journey, I mean I did not think that I could come home and, you know, admit what happened, tell my husband, tell the world, report the doctor. I wanted to just crawl under a rock. And so it was with God's, you know, kind of supernatural, you know, love during that time that kind of gave me what I needed to continue forward. And then to answer your question, because I don't want it to sound so, you know, rosy, I have extreme hurt towards the church. I, my pastor did behave, you know, uh, responsibly, I guess you could say, and helped me in the beginning. And I very much appreciate that. But then he turned into, I turned into political correct mode. And then the doctor and I were just two sinners in need of help. And it was very, very painful and hurtful. And I felt disregarded and really, I had to leave the church and there was no follow-up. And when I reached out to my pastor you know, like a couple years later to talk to him, he said, you need to talk to the pastor at your own church, your new church, as if there was going to be a new church. And, you know, sadly, I had tried to find another church and I was attending and I met with the pastor in a, I don't know what my attempt was going to be. I just needed to tell him how I was struggling with being in church. 
like as if he knew it would somehow be better. He could pray for me. And before I could even get the story out, he said, don't bring drama from your old church to this church. And I've hmm. pretty pretty much been done with church okay. ever since. Well, this is the kind of stuff that, I'll be honest with you, it, it helps define the difference between a, a spiritual relationship and a relationship in, a, in, an, in an unhealthy or toxic church or, or situation. Right. Church can be the greatest greatest place in the world to experience, you know, the the wonder of community and community with with Christ, but it can also be a place where unhealthy people go and to prey on others. And I know part of the process that you talk about here, people preyed on, you know, as in P-R-E-Y-E-D can also be preyed upon, P-R-A-Y-E-D. Yeah. And I know that's a kind of play on words you have in some of your, your work. And so, you know, I come from a world, I'm a retired pastor and, and I, you know, I know that this thing kind of thing happens. I've witnessed it myself. I have colleagues who've been embroiled in it and church folks I know some pretty well who've been embroiled in this type of thing. And even family members who, for not to, for this particular reason, but because of their own run-ins with the church not understanding their lifestyle have, you know, moved on. So the church is no longer relevant to their life. And so what it might you know, I just want to say from my part as a clergy person that I apologize to what has happened to you. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. It was a sin. And and God will deal with that situation. But it is tragic right. that you had to go through it. And so many people do on for so many levels and the church can do better. And I hope that these type of conversations can help that to happen. And but what I want to say to you also is that, you know, yay, God, that you have chosen a path that does no longer, still does not deny God, but is using right. that still as a resource to help you with your healing. But for that healing, where I want to go to now, and I believe, really a big believer in a process, Amy, where people to get healing have to take some action, like you did, have to somehow connect and process the spiritual life, the inner life. But then they have to make it the, the cognitive, the thinking part, the application part, how you live your life. Right. So what I'm getting at now, how have some of the things in your life changed in terms of new disciplines, new routines, new ways of doing life, new awareness in your life, new processes? What are some of the things you do now you maybe didn't do before, now that you're more healed? Yeah, the first one we kind of touched on, and that is I am much more confident in my personal relationship with Christ. I'm much less um, anxious that if I'm not in church every Sunday, I'm a bad person. You know, my faith is stronger and more relational than it was before this experience. I, and this doesn't maybe exactly answer your question, but I had to cognitively, I had to make the decision to forgive my abuser and forgive those that, you know, hurt me in this process because I refused to be, you know, imprisoned by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. I'd lived in that most of my life. I was not going to go back to that. And so a lot of it with, you know, forgiveness, which is really hard for all of us, especially victims of clergy type abuse, but it was a decision to not give my abuser any more power, you know, over me or take mm -hmm. up any more rent in my, in my head. And so that was another thing that I did. I would say that I am a little bit gentler with myself now. Again, I had a lot of, I guess, like guilt-based 
faith, you know, um, Mm -hmm. right. Like I, you know, if I don't do my devotional in the morning or if I do my devotional and I don't read the scriptures that go with it, I am just a complete disappointment, you know, and I, you know, I don't operate that way anymore. I know that God loves me even if I'm doing nothing. Sound like grace and forgiveness are more a part of your life now than perhaps they were before. That guilt and yes. obligation and religion were part of what it was before more so. And that's a good thing. I also would say I'm sensing that you have a loving spirit now to share your story with others to try to be helpful. Because you've seen what happened to you. You know it's also happened to others because you you got connected with the community of other people that this has happened to. And now you're giving back. And you've given back by writing your book, Prayed Upon, Breaking Free from Therapist Abuse. And so who is this book for? What's it all about? I know you said a little bit why you wrote it your own process. But let's talk about that person you're writing it for now. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm writing it for, you know, kind of three different groups. I'm writing it for victims of abuse, especially adults, to know that they are not alone, that it is not their fault, and that there is not there is no consent in relationships with an imbalance of power. So many victims feel so guilty and that, well, did they participate? Well, did they want that? And it's just crucial to understand that, you know, for them to understand that they would not be able to properly give consent in a relationship where they hold none of the power. I also wrote the book because I wanted the audience who cannot relate to abuse at all, who judge victims in a harsh light, you know, when especially when they come forward and they're older, to be able to understand how sneaky and insidious the grooming process is and how adults can be manipulated and taken advantage of, I wanted them to, you know, read it just so that they could, they don't have to 100% get it, but maybe they could be a little gentler the next time somebody comes forward or somebody, you know, even in their own circle comes forward, Mm -hmm. that they don't immediately jump to that judgment. And then third, I wrote the book because I wanted, you know, everyone to know, especially those that are struggling with their relationship with God, that these tragedies can happen and God can still be loving and present. He did not cause them. He did not turn his back on us. He is pained by these experiences and just longing to help us and free us and be there for us afterwards. And I think that's one of the biggest hopes that I have for the book, because when you're taken advantage of by anybody, but especially by somebody pretending to represent God, um, not only have they taken you know, everything from you and left you with shame and self-hatred and guilt, but they have then taken your faith, they have taken your only hope away from you. And to me, that's just the ultimate, you know, the cruelest thing you could do to another human. Right. It's abusive on the deepest of levels. And so one last kind of question here for you in this whole process, how's that happened? What I mean by that is you said you've written it for these folks, particularly the third group there. Have you had any opportunity to talk to folks who have read your book or you've been able to be helpful to in personal conversation or coaching? Tell us a story, if you have one, about someone that your work has impacted them and made a difference. Yes. One of my favorites is I had a younger gentleman, before my book even came out, find my website and was reading my blog posts and emailed me and was just so thrilled that I emailed back. And he just said, you know, thank you so much because 
I was taken advantage of by, I think it was an uncle and he was a teenager and he felt like it was just so despicable. He was such a despicable human being that this would happen to him when he's that old and how, you know, he has to be somewhat responsible. I mean, after all, he was like a teenager and I was able to say yes. And I was 40 years old Mm -hmm. and it is not my fault either. And it just gave me such joy that he could begin to look at himself for the very first time as maybe, just maybe, it wasn't his fault. Well, and I'm sure there's more and more stories about that. I, well, I have, I know there's stories of the abuse, but yeah. let's, hope, let's hope there's more and more stories where your book and your work can be helpful to people to uh, navigate this whole process because it is an issue. I know it is. I just know that it is personally. So folks, or, and, uh, Amy, how can folks find your book and find you on your website or your book. Tell us how people can find you. Okay. It's, you know, amynortuse.com. You can purchase a signed paperback from my website, or you can buy an ebook or a paperback from Amazon. And the paperback is also available wherever books are sold. I, you can email me through my website. And I also have as many resources as I have been able to accrue are on my website. And I'm also, I should say, I'm on social media. Um, and, and those links are there as well. And we'll make connections to all of that at our website, drbradmiller.com. She is Amy Nordhues. Her website is Amy Nordhues, A-M-Y-N-O-R-D-H-U-E-S.com. And her book, Prayed Upon, Breaking Free from Therapeutic Abuse. We thank you for being our guest today. Amy on the Beyond Adversity Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller.